G'day everyone and welcome to My Normal Podcast. Today is Thursday, 10th of September, also known as Are You OK Day? It's our national day of action where we remind Australians that every day is the day to ask, are you okay? If you or someone in your world is experiencing struggles with life's ups and downs, I highly recommend visiting the Are You OK website to find the tips, ideas and resources to help you share the message and encourage everyone around your community to learn what to say after, are you okay? Today's guest on the podcast is Tom Robb. He's from an organization called Life is the Way. Tom is known as a motivational speaker, adventure therapist, yoga and meditation instructor, and mentor. Life is the Way aims to challenge negativity, empower people of all ages, and shed a positive light on mental health. Please help me in liking and subscribing and sharing these podcasts around to whoever you think that may be interested in these chats. I'm really enjoying the positive feedback and what everyone thinks of these episodes. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's get into it. Hey, Eddie. What's up, Rob? Hey, mate. G'day, mate. <laughs> How are you? How you doing? How's yeah, your morning? Well. It was it was terrific, actually. Yeah, it was yeah. really nice. Got to chat with you for a brief period, which was naturally just the best part of it, really. It's been Phenomenal. some time, uh, and then I, yeah, we haven't we haven't caught up in. In, in a fair while, so it's good to it's good to finally see your face again and hear your, hear your voice. Um, for everyone listening, um, this is uh, my guest Tom Rob. Uh, Tom Rob and I have uh, known each other. Uh, I don't know, probably ten years or something like that. Tom originally came across my desk uh, as a good mate of my brother. Uh, they went to uni to school. Uh, they went to school together at uni, I should say. Um. Tell us, um, tell us where your journey starts for you, Tom. No worries, bro. Uh, basically, it all started in outdoor ed at that uni on Mount Buller. And, yep. you know, that was this two-year diploma where by the end of it, you'd come out with a certificate in outdoor recreation and then, you know, by virtue of that, be able to go off anywhere in Australia or the world for that matter and take groups of kids or adults rafting or bushwalking or climbing or whatever it was they wanted to do, depending on which company you're working for. And that was really, I, I think I owe a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now to that kind of lifestyle, you know. I mean, even now, everything I do is about talking with large groups of people and, and that was what that degree um, or that um, diploma, sorry, taught me, which was fantastic. Yeah. Did you... um? Did you sort of plan on that being the lessons you would take out of that course? No. No. No, I never knew that when I was 20 years old that I'd be doing, you know, motivational speaking and mentoring and facilitating workshops and stuff like that. No way. But it's, um, yeah. you know, the journey goes where the journey goes. What was it within the course that sort of put you on that, um, on that journey? Because, I mean... From what I imagine, that course was like doing sick bike jumps and skids on your mountain bike and living up on Mount Buller where no one else is over the summer and just <laughs> making a complete utopia to yourself of just like absolute mischief. Uh, and you've taken motivational speaking out of it. How did that happen? 
Yeah, great question. It actually it started from <laughs> yeah, great question. Thank you. Um, it's <laughs> it started from you know when I when I guide a group, my intention is to really just um, allow these kids permission or these adults the permission to have the best possible experience that they can have. And and for me that that's about I guess not just being their guide for the week, but being a bit of a role model, you know, and someone they can look up to and someone that they trust and someone that they feel safe around and and someone that if they needed to, they could come up and say, Hey, these are the things that's bothering me and you know, is there any way that we can we can fix that? And I just know, especially from my own upbringing, that that if I don't feel safe and I don't feel heard, then I'm probably not going to come up and and um, ask, you know, whoever it may be, whatever question I have because of just, I guess, the environment that I'm in, let's say. And so that was kind of how I rolled this this pretty easygoing, chilled-out kind of guide that, you know, my, my motto was safety, fun, learning. So safety was always first and number one, but fun before learning. Some people kind of screw their uh, faces up a bit at that and they say, fun before learning, what do you mean? Learning is learning, not fun. You say, well, you're right, but you're going to learn more in an environment where you're enjoying yourself. You're going to learn more when the person that's teaching you is is engaging, interactive, fun, and not, you know, almost, I guess it's passionate really. They're, they're passionate. And yeah. it's, a, it's like school. You say, um, do you remember your favorite teacher from school? And you say, oh, yeah, I, I remember them. You know, I remember everything about them. And you're probably less inclined to remember the teachers that didn't give you the, that time of day. And um, yeah. and so basically, by virtue of that style of guiding, kids would come up to me, you know, midweek, and they'd say, "Hey, man, we're having the best time. You know, can we just let you know what's going on in Kidland right now? There's a whole bunch of stuff happening that we just we just love to talk to someone. Is that cool? If that's you?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure, man. Open up. What's going on?" And and so for the best part of ten years, all these kids would would just kind of be cruising along somewhere in the bush and they'd be like, oh, you know, and they just start unloading all of their lives, worries and issues onto me and, and be like, what would you do in this situation, Tom Rob? And I'd just give my honest opinion and um, and it, it really worked, you know, like they kind of all walked away going, yeah, awesome, I'll give that a go. And and from from that I, I got into uh, reading like self-development, you know, all books on self-development, self-discovery, mind, mind mastery, psychology, um, you know, depression, meditation, yoga, anything like that, you name it. And what I found was when I started this journey of, of reading all these books and really actively listening as I was reading, you know, taking notes and, and things like that, the, the more books that I read, um, you know, books by like Urquhart Tolle and Robin Sharma and um, Norman Doage and things like that. The, the books, the more books that I read on certain mental health topics, the more people that would organically just walk into my life and be like, "Oh, hey, can you give me a hand with this?" And I was like, "Oh, that's weird. I just read about that last week." Um, and so I found that really interesting. Yeah, they're almost like puzzle pieces. They really are. They really are. Yeah. Um, not saying that I have uh, read any of those books. I. Um and on my own <laughs> journey, I guess, to finish a book in my life. I've never been much of a reader. But, uh, it's, it's definitely something I want to do. What are some of the, um, 
What's what's a couple uh, books that put you on your journey that you started out that you could probably recommend to the listeners, uh, aka me? <laughs> Mate, the the best book that I've ever read in my entire life, uh, and it was the very first book, funnily enough, that started this journey, is called The Ancient Wisdom for Modern Health. And it's written by an Australian fellow called Mark Bunn, who actually used to play um, for the AFL. He was he was uh, in Carlton. Footy. And and he, yeah, yeah, he was he was he was a footy guy. And he left. He left the footy, and he was also a, a, I believe he was a naturopath um, and nutritionist at the time. And, and he ended up leaving and flying around all over the world and going into yeah, wow. these you know, really ancient communities. And basically the book just compares ancient culture to Western society. And he kind of says, well, let's look how these people have been living their lives for all these hundreds of thousands of years and what they're doing and compare that to ours. Yeah, cool. Definitely check that out. It's good to hear that um, mm. a footy player has uh, use other than like being an electrician with blown out knees. <laughs> yeah, right. Totally. <laughs> Hundred <laughs> percent. That's um, that's uh, that's that's good news. That's a good news story in, in itself. Mm, it really is. Um, we're currently in COVID. Have you heard about that? You've you've uh, <laughs> you've heard about the global pandemic. Is there any um, yeah, mate. Any, anything that sort of uh, has caught you off guard or that's exciting you um, uh, about COVID, as in just like the general way of life or anything like that, something that you probably wouldn't have predicted would have happened when you thought the whole world was burning down around you? Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't expect it like everybody. I, I don't think anyone saw this coming, but I've actually almost felt guilty to a degree with how much stuff I've been able to get done in this time. And um, yeah, and that's a great thing. You know, one of the, the – a guy called Simon Schneek, who I always love to – um, talk about, you know, he's a mentor, not in real life. He's just got a YouTube channel and he's a very intelligent fellow. But but he talks about innovation and creativity and, and he's got this bit where he basically explains that innovation and creativity come from space. And for a lot of us, especially young kids, but adults as well, you know, we had that space before we had phones and technology was so advanced. And so to give you an example, you could be sitting at the bus stop with nothing and, and you're just waiting for the bus and you're just thinking because there's nothing else to do but think. And so you might just think, ah, oh, I wonder if that's been done before. Or perhaps you're looking at something and you think, I wonder if they did it that way, if that was better. Like, like that's innovation, that's creativity. But now every spare moment of the day that there would be space where we could start creating and thinking, what do we do? We pull our phones out and we start playing Candy Crush or whatever it might be. So all of a sudden, that's just evaporated. It's, it's just gone completely. And COVID has been this time where we've had to take what I feel is actually forced space. It's like, hey, you haven't got your job for at least the majority of my friends. You haven't got your job. Um, fortunately, you know, um, thank God, ScoMo's flung us a bit of cash while this is all going on. So hopefully that's enough to yeah. keep your head above water. And, and you're being asked to really sit with yourself and, and reflect. It's been a very reflective process. And, and through that, uh, I've been able to, you know, come up with some fun little ideas and create some online sessions. And it's, it's actually been rather beneficial. Is that bad? Is that bad that I'm having yeah, a good cool. time? No, it's, uh, 
it's very favourable. Um, <laughs> and I think for being a motivational speaker, you should um, you should be promoting that you're having a good time. Otherwise, probably business model yeah. wouldn't be all that successful. <laughs> yeah. just, just my... <laughs> That's totally um, right. Just, yeah, like in regards to, like we'll, we'll get into uh, what you're working on a bit later, but in regards to just uh, I ran into a friend who was walking their dog who lives quite close to me. I'm like, oh, mate, what have you been up to? He's like, oh, I've just been playing pool. I'm like, oh, sick, you guys got a pool table. He's like, nah, just been playing like online pool on my phone. And uh, my heart just like sunk, man, like... Just being excited about playing pool and, um, yeah, he's just doing like online tournaments on his phone um, as entertainment and that's that's fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's not a great way to spend your days. Yeah, he's probably really good at it and, you know, uh, different journeys, I suppose. Um, <laughs> um, what's your first ever memory? Oh, good question. Oh, my God. First That's ever two. memory. It's two for two, baby. Um, first ever memory. That is such a hard question. Yeah. Pressing issues here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think... Um, The thing that's coming to mind actually is going to the football with my dad. But I reckon if I yeah. sat with it for long enough, I'd come up with something else. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of those uh, questions that's sort of like, um, it's almost like polluted by stories you've heard about your upbringing and you kind of, um, mm. you, you, you put those stories that you've heard and you sort of recreate those memories from what people have told you about your upbringing. It's just a fascinating thing that I've just yeah. been thinking about lately of just like, uh, like children's development and that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, like you develop, you know, straight, straight, uh, straight out of the womb. And, um, but you don't have memory of that development, but then, you know, that, 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 that switch just flicks. Do you have a, do you have a moment in your life where you decided that you were going to kick things into gear? You mean in relation to like getting a job and stuff like that? No, not even. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it could be, but like when you just sort of decided, you know what, I'm going to like, this is my adolescence. I've done that. I'm going to start contributing to the world and I'm going to start creating my own identity and um, doing, doing, doing the Todd Rob thing. Yeah, I think um, three for three. Good job. <laughs> I, I think, I think that would have been. I reckon that would have been around about the age of 24, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I definitely felt like I was contributing in my early 20s as, a, as an outdoor ed guide for sure. But that was, you know, that was definitely polluted with, or polluted is probably not the best word to use for this little bit. But there was a lot of other stuff going on there with just parties and travel and yeah. You know, there wasn't any like major direction where I was like, right, this is exactly what I'm doing. And, you know, when I was on those programs, I would be on it 100% giving it my all. But but I think when I was about 24, I, I realized that I, I felt like my my main skill was communication, let's say, and, and teaching. And actually my main passion was communication and teaching, which was a, a good little double up. 
And so that was when I was like, yeah, whatever I do, it's going to be in this field. And I've always been a huge advocate of that, you know, uh, making your passion your paycheck. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's Love that. Pretty much, I reckon that could probably be a tagline for this podcast, I think. This is uh, pretty much mm. conversations with people who have made a living off their passions. I'll, yeah, um, great. Yeah, that's that's one that's one on your scoreboard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, sweet, thank you. Fuck, let's box hey, it up. <laughs> um, uh, what's your earliest memory of people appreciating what it is you do? Um, that would have been. I reckon that would have been probably my first program. Oh, no, it wouldn't have been. It would have been teaching snowboarding because when I was yep. doing that course with Dan, over the winter I became a snowboard instructor and, and I remember that having such a good time and that was, you know, adults and and kids. So I was teaching both, not at the same time because they learn different, differently. But, um, yep. but I remember for both kids and adults finishing those classes and having, you know, them be like, thank you so much. That was such a great lesson. And I was like, oh, cool. No worries. Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you. This is this is great. Yeah. I imagine um, – because, I mean, you did – you do you followed the snow seasons for how many years? Last season – or this season was my 17th consecutive in a row. Wow. But, yeah, it's, it's too many. It doesn't count, actually. I, only was, I was only there for two weeks this season, but last season was probably the, the end. So, yeah, 16, let's call it. Yep. And predominantly just like snowboard instructing, that's that's your, your main your main role when you do a snow season? Well, actually it was different. The last five seasons on Mount Buller, it was snowboard instructing, teaching yoga and also booking all the bands for this pub that I was living at and and running the yeah. open mic night. So we had bands Tuesday and Saturday and then Thursday night was the open mic night. And so that was those last four seasons, five seasons were phenomenal. Yeah. I mean like I feel like I had it made up there, you know. Which uh, wasn't the wit, was it? No, it was um, Alpine Retreat. Alpine Retreat. Oh, that's right. That was just down the road from Abbas. Yeah. Right. Just next to Shenmue. Yeah. Very good. Um, So you you were up at the snow this season? I was in Jindabyne for about a month and I ran a backcountry snow trip. And then ran a, a workshop in Jindy and then yep. um, cruised on back to good old Victoria. Yeah. I imagine uh, that the snow industry, like, would have been so nervous around January, February, March when this sort of thing was popping in. Um, and just knowing that, that uh, this, like, this, this is going to completely dismantle um, the, the snow industry, I imagine. I mean, like people who would have uh, cleared their year to go and uh, live on the mountain and all that sort of stuff and uh, people who would have invested in training or people who would have, you know, bought new businesses and started up cafes and probably put their life savings and stuff into, uh, you know, hopefully making a dime this snow season and then people aren't even allowed to travel to the hill, let alone to in, to, to buy a coffee and that sort of stuff. I imagine it would have been really grim up there when um, when all this news of COVID came. Yeah, I think for the Victorian resorts, it was much worse. New South Wales was different. Um, yep. They, 
from my understanding, I've got a feeling that Jindabyne, you know, Threadbow and Perisher, I think they were relatively unaffected. Like they they closed half their mountain, which actually, let's take that back, that's a huge, that has a huge impact on the town and on the people that want to go skiing. So they, they would only allow half capacity basically and I think they only had half the lifts open. So, yeah, it's it's been a really interesting year. Uh, but I think, you know, when you look at it, I don't know, I often find myself, for any anyone that's like, oh, it's so tough. It is so tough, but it, like not to sound rude by any stretch, but it's so tough for like literally almost everybody, yep. you know. Um, it, it, we're all struggling. The snow season's, I don't think, that dissimilar from any other business really. Yeah, I mean, COVID's probably the only thing that's happening in our lives at the moment that does not discriminate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, have you ever been starstruck? What does that mean? As in, like, I um, I was in a dressing room at Laneway once and Paul Kelly walked in and said he wanted to uh, have a chat and have a cigarette with the boys and I was like, I don't know what to say. I love you. Um, <laughs> so have you ever had a moment where you've just been speechless when someone's walked into the room, like a hero of yours or anything like that? Yeah, I've had a few of those moments. The, the first one that comes to mind, actually, Lloyd Spiegel is, I mean, you know yourself, music's been a big part of my life. Um, not anywhere near close to yours, actually, but I do love Playing music and I love listening yeah. to music and I try and get to all the blues and roots festivals that I possibly yeah, I was can. Yeah, just say Lloyd Spiegel, the, the like the blues guitarist. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think he's won like King of Blues. The well, he did a couple of years ago. I'm not sure if he's still up on yeah, top right. at the moment, but um, cool. he's the Cole Clark representative, and you know yep. he's just an all round nice guy. But I actually ended up I saw I saw Blues Mountain playing in at Bendigo Blues and Roots, and it was the last day, and and Jesse um, Jesse Valanche is is the lead singer guitarist from Blues Mountain, and he's absolutely phenomenal. And this was like watching a movie, man. Like I swear, I'd never seen this. And so Blues Mountain had been playing for like thirty minutes, and and Lloyd must have just walked in. And I've seen Lloyd play like fifteen times, and and I didn't see Lloyd. He was standing back behind me, and so Jesse Valanche, the lead singer and guitarist, just goes, "Hey, everybody." Lloyd Spiegel's just walked into the room and everyone looked over and just started clapping and he holds his guitar out like this yeah. and he goes, Lloyd, would you please, would you please? And Lloyd's like, no, 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 no. He's like, come on, man, like, would you please? And so Lloyd gets up there and everyone's clapping and he's got his whiskey and Jesse hands him this guitar and there's this, there's this thing in music where I absolutely love and adore and I cannot wait for the day that this becomes you know a part of my repertoire and I'm just going to call it magic and it's where the the group of men and women that are playing on stage are so talented in in what they're doing that that they just know it's like this intuitive innate understanding of of progressions and timing and and so Lloyd just does this thing where he just kind of like turns around to the band and he's like we're going to do this in uh, F sharp major, two, three timing, yeah. and uh, Take four, the bass line two, for a walk. three, four. And then, yeah, boom, like straight away. <laughs> and it, it was the coolest thing to see. Anyway, he got off stage and, and he came up to me and it was the first time that he'd approached me. He was like, oh, Tom, how are you going? And just like you, I was like, oh, oh <laughs> I, I, I'm good. I'm good, thank you. 
how are you? And he's like, great. What are you up to? I'm like, I just sort of told him how great that was. And, and I said, oh, you've got this gig in, uh, where was it? Somewhere near Bendigo. Um, Hoon Hill or somewhere, I can't remember. Samara, and he goes, yeah, yeah, are you, are you coming? I said, no, I can't get there. Um, it's a bit of a ways away from me. And he goes, I'll come pick you up. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, I'll, I'll swing past your house and I'll grab you and I'll take you to the gig. And I was like, you're kidding. And so 11 o'clock the next day, Lloyd Spiegel <laughs> pulled up to my house in Bendigo. I was living there because I was studying. Yeah, I, I had to get a train, which was fine. I would have happily walked having spent that long in a car with that man. Um, and so, yeah, we drove to yeah. the gig together and I ate with him. And, <laughs> and I said to him when we got there, I said, oh, look, I just don't want to stare at anyone's toes. I said, I'm more than happy, just so you know, like I'll pay my way, I'll buy my own drinks, I'll eat my own food. And he goes, why don't you just be my roadie? And I was like, all right, sure. No worries. Yeah. And I, so I carried in his like one stool, you know, and I was like, woohoo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he used to be a regular at um, the Elwood Blues Club. Um, oh yeah, and uh, yeah, man. Did you ever get along to the Elwood Blues Club at all? Is it not the Elwood Lounge now? No, not the Elwood. So the Elwood Lounge is is the the bar which we've had a lot of. You and I have had a lot of great times at. But the Elwood Blues Club was a, a bunch of like bluesy musicians on a Sunday. Um, they finished up last at the Prince Front Bar, but yeah, they were basically like go around. Elwood St Kilda area and basically you would have like all these um like really prominent awesome blues musicians and like you would have like a house band and then everyone would like they would get up and you would do like six sets over the day so it'd be like a a 12 to sort of six on a Sunday uh sort of thing um it came across my desk funnily enough when I was working um at the GH Hotel which was a gay bar but on Sundays it was a blues bar and um yeah yeah, it it was the highlight of my week but yeah Lloyd Spiegel used to come through and just just shred and uh you'd just be like what are you shreds what are you what are you doing here in this just like sea of like hobby musician dads sea of hobby musician dads that's great (laughs) yeah come on mate you're better than this there you go yeah yeah you're too good stay do a quick solo and just bugger off would you yep um so life is the way um my my question that I've written down is, if you were to start a foundation, uh, what would it be? But is Life is the Way sort of your foundation that you've already sort of picked up? It's your, your way of contributing through mental health and, um, and people's own personal journeys? Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So... Um, where, where where did life is the way start? What what was your first project? And um and tell me a bit about that. Uh yeah, so that's that's really been I guess at the forefront of everything I've been doing for the last seven years, and it came about. There's a few. It's a quite a good question. It's a big bit of a story, but I'll try and give you the short version. It basically came that's about four. because yeah, four for four, baby, four for four. Um. It came about because, you know, I was, you know, having these chats with kids on program and I remember thinking to myself, I was like, oh, I'd, I'd really love to share my story and, and try and help, uh, you know, youth not make the same mistakes that I made and, and just really like give them a nice sort of discussion on, on, on living your best life and things like that. And then outside of that, 
uh, you know, there were these books that I was reading and I was just devouring, you know, all this information and research on, like I said, self-development, mental health, social emotional well-being, meditation, yoga, etc. And and so all of these books that I would read, I I would give to dad and I would give to a couple of mates and I would say, you got to read this book, you got to read this book, it's amazing. And they would read it and they would say, that was the best book I've ever read. You know, and I believe wholeheartedly that the books that we read and the documentaries that we watch and the people that we surround ourselves with shape and create the beings that we are today to this to this very moment actually and i i'm a very easygoing guy by nature but the one thing that's always bothered me is the system man and and kind of the way by which we're governed and how we treat each other i mean of course you know me and you and i'm sure all of your followers and friends we're all we're all in this lovely we're all nice lovely people but but as a collective as a global collective i think that we could be number one, nicer to each other, and number two, nicer to the earth from which we're all from. And and I remember saying to my dad, I said to him one day, I was like, man, you know what? If every single person in the entire world could read these books, we'd be way less backwards as a society. Yep. And dad goes, yeah, I think you're right. How, how do you reckon you would, you would do that? Because it was like not enough to just give one book away as a you know gift yep. at a time. You kind of wanted everyone to read these as quickly as possible. And so I actually started this thing called Mindfulness Coffee. And as you know, I've been kind of on and off living in a combi van for the last sort of nine years. And and so Mindfulness Coffee was this sustainable um, coffee maker. It was like this hand grinder and a humongous press that, you know, you, it was almost like you would lift up these two huge wings, pour um, hot water in the top, put your portafilter underneath, and then press these wings down like so, and it would it would literally make a cafe-style espresso with no power. And then I had like a little milk frother on a stove. And, and basically what I would do is I would line these 65 books up on a surfboard bag. I'd put my guitar up against my van and then just be playing light tunes out of a, um, a BA330 from underneath the trestle table. And then there was like, you know, milk crates and a few plants everywhere. And it was like this pop-up combi cafe and everything – was pay what you feel. And so there'd just be music playing like a bit of Xavier Rudd or John Butler or whoever I might have been listening to and I'd just be there grinding beans, just having the best time and people would just come along and be like, mate, what is this? And I'm like, bro, mindfulness coffee, grab a book. Um, I can make you a coffee if you would like one. It's all pay what you feel. Free to sit in the van, sit over there, play my guitar, listen to the music coming out of the thing or we can even switch that off and you can be the music like you do you. And they're like, ah. Yeah. Oh, this is awesome. And, and that yeah. really went like everywhere I was, I would pull up to, a, you know, ideally a beach car park and, and do that. And um, that, I, I feel like that was really right at the beginning as I was reading these books. Like back then there wasn't 65 books. There was about 15, you know. But um, yeah. it worked. It really worked. And it, it kind of went from there um, to, to sort of starting off with the motivational speaking and, you know, I had done my yoga teacher training with meditation course attached to that, so I was adding that in and running little workshops on the beach and all these little things. And eventually, it just it evolved into this all-encompassing life is the way. Was was this? You know, everything is important. Like it's not everyone says, oh, you got to be serious and you got to wear a suit and do all these things. It's like why? You know, like laughter is important and healthy, and and it's nice yeah. to to not take life so seriously and, and to you know be a little bit of a goofball every now and again. And so I kind of created this 
um, yeah, this this foundation where under that umbrella, life is the way, if you call it that, you've got your mindfulness coffee, you've got your finding your true north, you've got your, um, you know, your high school presentations, your teacher presentations. It's all sort of resting under that and it's it's been a really amazing journey and I've been fortunate just to meet the greatest people along the way. So, yeah, yeah I imagine that, sure. would have, um, that would have uh, attracted some really genuine people. Mm. Yeah, it really did. And um, I think, you know, it's funny because the, the way that it actually came about, just to really quickly give you this specific story is for seven years I wanted to be a public speaker and for six years I didn't become one. I just thought about it and I talked about it and that was as far as it had gone. And there's a great saying that um, the longer we take to act upon our goals, the less likely we are to achieve them. And, you know, it's really good if you think about asking someone on a date because normally when you, when you want to ask someone on a date, the initial thought is quite exciting, you know, just like it is if you want to start a new project. The initial, when it comes to you, like, oh, I think I'm going to do this. And everyone's like, you should do it. You should do it. It'd be a great thing. You'd be really good at it. Or, you would, yeah, you would suit that person that you were thinking about asking on a date. You should totally do it. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm feeling really good. And it's it's almost childlike, you know, the, the energy around it is so infectious and fun and, and it's big, you know, and, and a few yeah. days goes by and, and you start to slowly lose motivation and your friends go, are you going to ask that person on a date or start that project? You go, oh, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm going to. And, and eventually we can, we can just kind of talk ourselves out of it, that, that self-sabotage. And anyway, this guy said to me, let's go, oh, so you... go buy a Porsche. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what this guy said to me. Oh, you, you were going to do it for seven years. What happened? Why didn't you just do it? And I said, oh, life actually just got in the way. And then I said, wait a minute. No, it didn't. Life is the way. And then that was this moment. I can remember exactly where I was sitting. No, nah, life is the way. And then I just stood up. I was like, oh, my God. He goes, what? And I was like, life is the way. That's, that's it. That's, that is it right there. And he's like, oh, cool. So anyway, was he just like, "Oh, cool"? By the way, I'm not paying anything for this coffee. <laughs> yeah. By the way, you get nothing for this. And I was like, "Oh man," that happened occasionally, but you know, <laughs> you can't win them all. Yeah. What was um? What was? Did you have like an average price? What people were paying for coffee? Believe it or not, actually, I found this so bizarre although lentils as anything seems to work just fine at least from the outside it looks like it's working just fine but yeah. but i would be getting on average five dollars a coffee yeah and you that's, know and it was awesome because that's the sort go. of stuff where you're just like you know what we are we are going to be all right there there those those little tests in life where you just it's like you know uh like gluing money to the to the to the um to the ground sort of thing and just seeing who picks it up. It's those little like little uh, life tests, but like, yeah, giving people like this is free or you pay whatever you want and people actually paying what they genuinely want to pay for it is, is quite comforting in civilization to know those like, Oh, it's that fantastic. Average, that average exists. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah. And, yeah no, people, I love it. That's and, another example of people appreciating what you're doing, I guess. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, the, the beauty of that was some people would pay, $10 or $20, uh, I, I once, I got, a, I got a 50, which was mind-blowing. But, but to get a $10 note was, was not that uncommon. And what that meant is 
you know, people would come along and I love this. I learned so much. Pay what you feel is to watch people's mind go, oh, okay, and they kind of have to really think about what they think this is worth. And and some people would come along and they would say, man, this looks so great, spewing. I actually left my world at home. And I'd be like, bro, don't stress it. I'll make you a coffee. Because I would know that someone in that day would pay for them, that someone would be like, I love this, here's 10 bucks, yeah. and there's two people's coffees, you know. And and that was such a great thing. And I really I really admire yeah. the, the authenticity of people being like, oh, this is so good, bummer. And then on the other end of the scale, you would get people rolling up in like, you know, a Ferrari and they'd come along and be like, what's this? And I explain the mindfulness coffee system and they'd get a coffee and give you like a dollar and 20 cent coins and you're like, oh, yeah. okay. Oh, it's a bit, so it's a bit bitter. It's, <laughs> yeah, it almost worked. It was almost like a social experiment, but it was enjoyable regardless, you know. Yeah. So um, tell us about Lucinda. Where'd you get Lucinda? Oh my Lucinda's your 70, 74? Wow, good memory. Yeah, 74 combi van. 74 combi? Yep. Yep. She's uh she's from Perth. <laughs> she's from Perth. And and initially we were gonna call her the Tombi. And and I thought that was quite good. Someone else came up with that. They said, Oh, what what about the Tombi? And I said, That's great, that's a great name. And then I ended up driving her from Perth. I was working over there, um I'd been up in Coral Bay doing some tour guiding and then moved down to Fremantle to work at Little Creatures, was there for a year or six months rather, bought the van and then I actually drove an Englishman, an Irishman and an Australian back across the Nullarbor plane with me and everyone's like, oh, yeah, where, where's the joke? Like there's no joke. This is what actually happened. And yeah, and so I picked him all up and I picked up the Irish guy last. And his name was Willie and he hopped in the car and he closed the door, and just as I was about to drive off, he goes, wait, don't go anywhere. What's the car's name? And I was like, um, it's it's the Tombi. And he goes, no, you can't call a car a guy's name. Wait here. And he runs inside. Everyone's in there ready to go, all bags packed. He runs inside, grabs a fridge magnet, God knows where it came from, that said Lucinda, gets back in the car, slams the door, whacks the magnet on the dashboard and goes, we'll call it that. Let's go. <laughs> that is sick. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what it is about cars. I wonder what it is about cars where you can only give them like women's names. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why that is. Although, you, you reckon, know, like, um, I've got female friends like, that have given their cars male names. So, whoa, man. Oh, the future yeah, is bright. Yeah, it's just to, just see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are coming so far yeah. in society, man. This whole PC know, thing is paying off. Good... Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I could be so terrible right now, but um, I'm um, I'm <laughs> trying to make make this a good thing. <laughs> yeah, good. I could fuck up this podcast if I want. <laughs> Uh, you got this. Very good. So you've you've pretty much given yourself a uh, your own self funded um, apprenticeship in being a mechanic. From from what I understand about Lucinda too, like Lucinda's been a oh. bit of a bitch. Man, she yeah. Although you watch your mouth, young man, because she can hear. 
She can hear everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she has feelings. Yeah, she's had some. She's had some breakdowns. In fact, she had so many over a period where, you know, we'd go down to Cape Hot Way to go surf Joanna, and I'd be like, "Great," you know, with a group of us. I'd say, "Great, we'll take Lucinda," and everyone say, "Mate, we want to actually make it past the fish and chip <laughs> shot. We're not, pay- we're not taking that piece of shit." And I'm like, "Ah, boys, man, come on, like this is come and live this my is dream." Where it's at. Yeah, come and live my dream, and you know, I mean, this is the thing, hey, like she's, she's, um, she's had smashed windows and they, they smashed by simply just closing the door too hard. You know what I mean? Like just yeah. little things like that. Uh, there was a, a, a one episode where she caught on fire while I was driving her, which was just intense, such an intense experience. Yeah. Massive oil leaks. Um, just, I hit, I hit a roo once, which just like crumpled the front end and I had to get a new front. It's, it's been a journey and you're right. I have really been taught, a good deal of patience. Um, yeah. Although in having said that, the one thing I will say is, and I, I mean this in such a, a fantastic way. I mean, really this, so many people would, would not put up with that. And I completely empathize and respect that. But the people that I have met simply by that van breaking down so many times is just unimaginable. And I mean like really nice, authentic, humble, amazing human beings that have not only helped me fix it, but invited me into their homes for dinner and a yep. chat. And, you know, it's been um, – and the mechanics I've met, and it, it's all kind of linked up, just like you said at the start, those puzzle pieces. And, and they've come back into my life, you know, um, life, I should say, um, you know, later on down the track, and it's yep. been phenomenal. Well, I mean, I, I see Lucinda as one of your instruments. Like, as much as, like, you see Lloyd Spiegel, you you look forward to the time where you can get on stage uh, one day and have almost that conversation with your instrument. I mean, Lucinda is essentially essentially one of your instruments that starts those conversations. It's the big red... It really is. ...beautiful bus. It's something that you've uh, built uh, through rain, hail and shine. It's given you difficulty, but it's given you even more joy. So it's it's one of those beautiful things that's... Uh, a, uh, a, a yeah, man. It's 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 a it's a passion project, and um, yeah, it really and is. For, for anyone for anyone who thinks that you know, like having a, an unreliable car, why have a reliable? Like it's just two different journeys of what a car means to someone else. Like I would love an old car to just like cause me grief and something that I could build build up upon. But um, yeah, it's just. Yeah, it's, they're, they're beautiful things. They're, especially, you know, back in that era where uh, a, 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 a simple man or woman could just just fix it. If it breaks, like, you just you just fix it. Whereas now it's like you get a warning light and all this sort of shit and, like, the Bluetooth won't pair, so you sell it. Yeah. Yeah, so many things. And I think you're spot on with, you know, it's actually become such a big part of my life and, you know, the thing that I love, and it's cliche, and I know that this does sound cliche, as cliche as this sounds, I, I like making people smile, you know, and, and I like watching people go, oh, like this, like that, when you, t- when you tell them something or teach them something that, that you, you kind of, you see the light globe kind of go on, and they're like, oh, I get it. And, and, and normally the way that I would do that is, is through motivational speaking or through one, running a yoga class or a workshop. 
and and that's great. Like I love doing that. Whereas with Lucinda, I don't have to do anything. Yeah. I just drive up, and if I'm at a set of traffic lights, and there's a cafe on the left and a cafe on the right, and I'm sitting there at the red light, and I look to the left and I look to the right, guaranteed every time if it's a nice day and there are people outside on the balcony of that cafe, they're just like. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you can just yeah. hear them being like, oh, oh, I want one. I want one so bad. That is the most gorgeous van. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm, mm. It, you know? And then the dad and you just going, just such a good itself. thing. Like that, I'm just like, yeah. sweet, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very so, good. Good, Lucinda. Yeah. So you've done um, you've done your your yoga training and that sort of stuff. I'm someone who, at the start of this year, um, had two um, what do you call it? I don't know, year goals, um, year resolution. I, like at on New Year's goals. Eve, I was like, next That's year it. goals. Sure. I one one yeah. of them was start a podcast. Number two was get into yoga. Uh, I've done one of them. How does Great. one uh, who sort of uh, like I I've I've done a couple yoga sessions. I've gone to like uh, I used to be a member at the local gym. That's you know a money grabbing uh, whatever subscription terrible place filled with meatheads. Um, yeah, and I, I I did enjoy it, but like I I I'm I'm someone who who I have not trained myself in meditation or anything like that. I've got my own forms of meditation, my own way of sort of finding that inner speak, inner peace, I guess, but I'm not, I don't really consider myself to be a very spiritual guy. Um, how, how can one get into yoga for not only like the fitness potential, but the mindfulness potential? Where do I start? Yeah, I think, you know, the very essence of that question, like yoga isn't I would never class yoga as fitness or exercise. Like naturally by doing yoga you're going to get fit, but yeah. But the entire practice should be a meditative practice. You know, if you're not if you're not mindfully aware of what's going on whilst you're um you know in a yoga practice, then you might as well just be stretching. That to yeah. me is the difference. Like you're either stretching in the gym or you're stretching in a yoga class, but you're, you know, you're really focusing all of your attention onto the areas of which you're feeling that stretch, wherever it may be in your body. And, and for me, I've always said this, that yoga, every single person is capable of doing yoga. And I think that one of the reasons why, I mean, I've had a really successful journey with yoga, both um, individually, but from a business perspective as well. And I personally believe that that stems from, uh, actually not being as, how would you say this, like mainstream, if that's the right word. Like let me yep. just explain it to you. I, I can't touch my toes and I've been teaching for over five years. And, yep. you know, yoga has this thing about it which I've never really loved. And, and the, what it is is it's, it's, this, it's this kind of head wobble stigma about it where you know <laughs> yeah there's the, it's almost like a bit of a fad now and, and I, I'm like super um delicate around this like I'm so sorry for anyone that hopefully is hopefully no one's offended by this but I really think there's a fad around it and there's a stigma around it and it's like you know a mat is a hundred bucks and the pants are like 90 bucks and you know and people totally. yeah people just like 
some some people like to just do yoga to say they do yoga. It's like I do yoga. You know, I, I'm I'm a yogi. I go yeah. to, like to my yoga center three times a week, and I just love it. And and that's good, and keep going. But but I feel like I feel like the the culture around yoga is for me the reason why so many people don't go because they look at the the dress code and 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 the language around yoga. I mean, you know, so many classes we use traditional Sanskrit language. And, and they just go, I don't want to be a part of that. Whereas, like, <laughs> for instance, right now, I'm wearing my black jeans and whatever top this is, and this yeah. is normally what I would wear to run a yoga session. I run a yoga session in black jeans and normally, like, it's like a, a nice, comfortable Patagonia shirt. And I do that simply because – and it wigs people out. They're like, yeah, wearing jeans. What are you doing wearing jeans? Yeah. And I – I say, oh, I want to wear these just what to show people that you don't need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you, you don't have to, you know, have – I mean, these are, you know, these are like stretchy jeans. Let's just be clear on oh, that. Yeah. I'm not wearing – They're yoga jeans. You know, they're yoga <laughs> jeans. I wouldn't be wearing Life those Life of the way, to yoga jeans. Life is – that's right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I'm fact, like, I'm feel, maybe I should create those. That would be a good thing. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I guess – in a lot of the work that I'm doing, I'm trying to break down those barriers and, and um, I guess debunk what would be seen to be the norm for yoga and, and show people that you can just dress how you want to dress and, you know, it doesn't need to be oversimplified. And with having said that, you know, really it's nice to try and find, if you want to get into it, it's great if you can find someone that teaches it um, that, that would just acknowledge the fact that perhaps you're a beginner. You know, I've gone into so many classes before and, and there have been six or 12 people that have never done yoga and the rest have, but, but I haven't felt like the, the teacher has accommodated for those six or 12 people. It's just been a regular yeah. class. And, you know, I want to feel like, especially in, in, a, in a yoga class, like I'm a part of a herd and that we're in this kind of tight-knit community together growing as one. And, and so, you know, I mean, it's the same, you know, teach drums to some people and, and there's a thousand drum teachers and some drum teachers resonate better with other uh, clients and it's different for other people. So, you, you know, you will, you go to classes where the, the, the yoga instructor could be done a thousand hours of training and they're awesome, but you just don't like the way they teach and you might go to another one and it's just, it's a different resonance, you know, you kind of go, yeah. oh, okay, I get it now. And so it really is, I think that student-teacher relationship is very important. Yeah. I mean, from what, from what little, like I've done, I, I could count on two fingers how many times I've done it. Um, but from what I sort of uh, gathered, and again, from this, this, this gym that was um, definitely not a yoga studio, was it was, I felt quite intimidated in the space. Um, I almost felt like it was quite a feminine space uh, at this gym too. Like, I reckon it would be pretty... Um, pretty advantageous probably for me to find like a beginner course taught by a male to sort of just get my confidence up to be out of just like you know what you're doing like you, you you know you're doing it wrong and you you don't want everyone to be sort of looking at how wrong you're doing in that sort of space and in a in a in a in an activity which such as yoga like it's meant to be very meditative whereas if you're sitting there struggling and dripping with sweating letting out cheeky farts or whatever. Like you just don't want anyone to judge you, let alone <laughs> and I, and, and, like surrounded by, uh, by, um, you know, a bunch of like beautiful women in spandex. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been there. I, I really hear what you're saying. I, I would, I say at the start, I'm like, all farts are allowed. I encourage it. I'm like, just yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, cool. So I've seen on your page that you're Great. currently involved in what uh, it's a, it's a four week journey. Tell me, tell me what your four week journey is about. Um, I will advise that uh, this episode will be airing in two weeks time so you will be on week three or maybe even week four of this journey so it might be um uh irrelevant to the listeners but um blow me away tom what are you up to yeah i'm just working out that that's um yeah and look there'll be another one if anyone that's out there listening really resonates with what i'm talking about in relation to this four-week journey that is then then there'll be another one uh especially if COVID lasts until yeah. Christmas, uh, which I've heard, I've heard that that may be a thing yeah. that could Why happen. Why not a five-week so, journey? Anyway. <laughs> Why four? Well, good question. I don't know. I felt four was, four was, I mean, ideally what I wanted to do was start on the new moon. And so you've got new moon, full moon, new moon, they're all fortnightly apart. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that seems like a pretty cool thing. And, and a month... A month also feels nice just because of, you know, like even though it's the middle of the month now, you kind of do things that sort of fit in with the yep. year. So I thought oh, if, I, if I do it for five or six weeks, it'll actually go, it'll go past apparently what's going to be maybe hopefully the lift of COVID and once yep. COVID lifts and people may not have as much time on their hands to really get amongst all this yep. stuff. Cool. So um, t- tell me about the chat. Fighting your true north COVID series, the four week journey. That's that's the name right yeah. there. And um, what this really is is a total audit slash rebuild of your life. You know, like we we're covering everything. And you know, the thing that I, I guess I'll say about this is that with with all the work that I'm doing, be it you know this four week workshop, be it a two hour workshop, a weekend retreat, whatever it might be, everything is the essence of everything is about being the best version of yourself. And when you're operating from that space, you're literally better at everything. Now it's not a competition. Um, but, but when you're operating from your highest best self, you're a better husband, you're a better wife, you're a better teacher, you're a better musician, you're a better athlete. And it sounds selfish to some people, but really like you are number one and you're, you're in better service to your community and those around you when you're in that, like I said, that space. And I love this analogy of, you know, you jump on an airplane and they do the chat and they say, okay, everyone, if the wings catch on fire, what's going to happen is these masks will fall from the ceiling. Put your own mask on first before helping anybody else. And it's just this idea, this analogy of, you know, not everyone, but but for me and for a lot of the people that I, I work with, um, even one-on-one, you know, it's much easier and much more favorable to go and fix your car than it is to fix the thing that needs to be processed inside of you. You know, it's much easier to go and jump in the garden than it is, than it is to go and have that hard conversation that you need to have with a, a loved one or a friend that might have, you know, bothered you in the weeks prior. And yes, and so really that's that's the basis of it is that, can we can we think about ourselves first and, and get us up to working order, let's say, for use of a better word, and, and then 
and then from that space walk out into this world and help others and and so the four week journey it's about accountability um you know we look at give or take one thing there or two things i think this is just about everything but we look at sleep diet exercise relationships job satisfaction money sunlight nature meditation uh sunlight nature meditation and passion that's the 10 things that we look at and they're all sections yeah right and uh, i mean maybe there's maybe there's something i've skipped as in like that's just not in it but that's guaranteed the 10 and and that's done in themes and and in sections of the week so for instance week one like we're now in our first week monday wednesday and friday you're committed to do an hour of work a day with me and so you wake up at 6 a.m and we do a 30 minute yoga session i call it 30 10 10 10 and so it's a 30 minute yoga session a 10 minute meditation and then 10 minutes of journaling. And so you basically start your journal, write down your to-dos, you know, look at your day, double-check your appointments, just get your head wrapped around what you've got to do. And then in the evening at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock or whenever it is you're just about to go to bed, you do 10 more minutes of journaling. And so, sorry, 10, I had a hand down below. <laughs> um, and that's your... <laughs> That's your, you know, the three things that you're grateful for. It's your, um, it's your random act of kindness. You know, all of these things, and and because we're doing this as a group, you know, I've taken on twelve people, and and that really holds us accountable. And I think that's a big thing is that when it's just you on your own, it's so easy to wake up at six and go, oh, I might just push push the snooze button, you know, and keep sleeping, but. But in this kind of environment, the people that have chosen to join me on this journey, they want to be there and they want to really reap the benefits of, of what this four weeks has to offer. And so to go back to those 10 um, elements of our life, week one is sleep, diet and exercise. And so I run a one-hour presentation on sleep, diet and exercise, just covering all aspects of you know, the science behind getting a good sleep and looking at our circadian rhythms to diet, we might look at um, our different body types when it comes to Ayurvedic medicine, you know, Pitta, Kapha and Vata and, uh, and and what sort of times of the day we should be eating. And then from exercise, things as simple as, you know, just getting 20 minutes of accelerated heart rate per day. I mean, really, and I said this from the start, I'm just a catalyst for change. You know, the the information that I'm sharing is is coming from these people that have spent 40 plus years in these industries and that have written books about this and, and made documentaries and, and podcasts and stuff like that. And, you know, really I'm just standing on the shoulders of giants of well-respected giants that have carved the path for this, for this wellness um, journey that I guess is a part of us all now. Like this is one of the biggest things, this, this mental health wave, this social emotional wellbeing wave that's hit us is, is, is really lifting right now, which is a great thing. And, and so that's week one, you know, and we talk about these things. I run that hour presentation and there's questions around what we're doing. And, and deep questioning is a very, I think it's a very amazing concept. You know, the, the question for this first week was, um, what, what in your, what was it? What's not serving you right now? And where in your life are you leaking energy? And what actions would you need to take to regain or reclaim back that energy, you know, and it's quite a, po a pokey question. It's like, what's not working for you right now? 
Like really? Yeah. What's what's happening for you right now? Where's your attention being taken? And it probably doesn't need to be there, or, or you know, or it might be better in in other places. Yeah, that's um, you know, there's a great saying a great where question. attention no, goes, no, no, no. energy flows. <laughs> um, yeah, where where attention goes, energy flows, and so uh, it's about kind of getting out of our funk and and just really you know sticking our how would you say this? You know, getting out of second gear and just whacking it into fifth and living the lives that we were supposed to live. And and I, I really feel passionate about this stuff, man, because I feel like, and again, this isn't for everyone. Like what I'm saying, this statement isn't for everyone, but a lot of people have just kind of become used to a mediocre life. You know, mediocrity is the norm now. It's like, yeah. how are you going? Good. Just, just good. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. Everything's just kind of flowing along normally. Yeah. It's like, is that really what you want? Like, like a good time is, is like, a, get like, like a family get together. Like that's that's my idea of a good time. Like the, you don't, you got to get out of that comfort space. Uh, you got to, you got to learn new things. You got to, you got to have those tough conversations. You got to have those conversations with someone that you probably wouldn't usually talk to. Um, to be able to just get out of your own head at, at times, I think like it's really important to, to, um, to just experience different things. I mean, like. Uh, my biggest and best tip for like someone who's just bought like a got like a new puppy is like it's not necessarily they need to exercise they just they need to have new smells they need to experience new things to look at and I'm sure it's the same with like an infant baby they just need to just experience different things I, I don't think that's something that we should necessarily lose uh, you know when you grow up you should experience new things uh, and challenge yourself uh, on a daily basis otherwise you do you you become that. Uh, probably normality thing that you would consider yourself to be, you know, boring. Yeah, I agree. And it, it does. Life, man, life can become stagnant and it's not a, I wouldn't say it's a bad thing, but part of this journey is really about, um, you know, acknowledgement. And, and it's like there's resources that I'm handing out each week that you actually fill out and you hold in your hand and it's a, a resource that you can look at and go, oh, wow. I can really see where I am leaking energy. I can really see what what aspects or areas of my life need a little bit of assistance. And and actually, yep. I thought of something as you were speaking before about those questions. There's a great saying which I think you will love, and the saying goes, um, "Easy question." Sorry, what is it? Hard questions, easy life. Easy questions, hard life. Yeah, I think I heard, it's basically, I, heard you I mean, you know, people can fill in the gaps there, but yeah, I really love that. Yeah, yeah that's um, it's like it's you know, you don't want to have those tough conversations, then fine, like put up with the the hard life that you that you may um, that you may have as a byproduct from that. You know, those hard yeah. conversations that we need to have with our loved ones and talking about what are our non-negotiables. You know, what are our boundaries? What are the things that we that we wish others wouldn't do and, and all of those things, they're important conversations to have and they are bloody hard conversations. But yeah. but I think that's what needs to be said and done in in order to, you know, get out of our heads and kind of start yeah. living that life where we're actually feeling a little more freer. I guess so, like the, the real time yeah. example of that is like, I don't know, like make up sex. Like the you know, having having those hard conversations but having that that re um that re rejuvenation of energy to, to be able to then, you know, 
passionately express something different other than an issue with that that with that partner or, or whatever. Like it's 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 important to, mm. to to be able to express that sort of stuff. But I mean, even even what you were saying um, uh, earlier about like this, you know, this week one of the journey, like it it is important to have these conversations, these tough conversations, because it's so easy for people to be able to. Um, you know, diagnose uh, mental health within themselves, like say, oh, I'm having a bit of an off week, but you know what, all I've got to do is just like, I've got to go fishing or I've got to get out of my bike and I've got to go do, you know, a couple of like a, a some strenuous exercise. But in a time such as like COVID where, um, you know, for the right reasons, our freedom is being taken away from us. There's people who are cooped up inside who haven't really been able to spend the time to develop, um, you know, uh, non-physical ways of getting that mental release. So it's it's really good to be able to develop those tools uh, within yourself to be able to identify, you know, when your mental health isn't at, at, at an all-time greatest, but maybe not to be able to rely on, you know, I need to be able to get away or I need to be able to shut myself off and do my own thing, whether that be like work in the garden or go for a surf or that sort of sort of stuff. Because, I mean, yeah, in a time like this, like that's where you sort of worry that if if you can't do that, because and also too, like if surfing is your your release to, to mental health, like you can't go surfing whilst you're at work. Um, so it's really important to have these these tools in your belt to be able to be able to you know just have that self care. So I think that's something really important that I would take out of um, you know your your four week journey in self. It's just being self-aware of your, of your own, um, your own journey. Yeah, man. And that's such, uh, yeah, you really touched on some wonderful points there. And, you know, as much as some people don't want to hear this, you know, it's great that you can have those outward experiences that might help you, you know, when you're having those off weeks or those off days, you're surfing or you're running or you're bike riding or whatever it would be. And, and that's a good thing, man, but, but I really do believe that it's inside of us, you know. The outer experiences can definitely help. I'm not going to take that away from anyone, but but to find those, those um, you know, those life hacks within us is, is so powerful. And, you know, there is this there is this theory that's called stress on stress. And, um, and what it basically means is, you know, our emotions quite often need to be processed you know, and, and so there's, there's going to be a core reason, you know, for someone feeling the way they're feeling. Something happened. There's some kind of ordeal that happened. Maybe it was just recently or maybe it was in childhood, you know, and there's been a trigger that's brought that back up. Whatever it is, something's happened. And to run and to surf and to bike ride and to get out in the garden, of course, that's beautiful. That's such a nice thing. But but it's not assessing the core root of the problem. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just kind of it's not it's not going to go away. You're going to feel slightly better, you know, for a period of time. But until you actually stare that sensation, that emotion in the face, and look at it with love, and ask it some questions and try and find out what's really going on, then then to me it's it's a band aid effect. Exactly right. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example of that. I had a, a, a really. Um, like intense year last last year touring around the world, and um, that that experience was was cut short by me being let go from the uh, from the gig, um, being uh, having to fly home solo for, uh, from Europe by myself, uh, and at, at you know at a, in December, which is a pretty 
uh, exciting time of the year. But, you know, that, that one really took it out from me. Um, but, the, the, you know, I, I thought I was doing well uh, when I would come home and I saw that the, that the grass needed mowing. So first thing I do is, um, you know, Rachel, my, my fiancé, is, is out of work. So I'm just like, fuck yeah, I'm just going to mow the grass and get into the garden, that sort of stuff. And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm mowing the grass and uh, it looks great. But um, then you're finished and then you've still got to deal with that stuff. So, yeah. So, yeah, flying home from Europe, um, that was like a fucking kick in the kick in the dick um, uh, that losing that gig. Um, that was a, a full year of, uh, of flying high um, and that sort of thing. But, yeah, coming home and just, yeah, my usual um, – things of getting in the garden and, and all that sort of stuff. Like we we're flying home from a European winter and I was just excited because it was like 25 degrees at home. Um, yeah, I just like first day I got home and mowed the grass and like just loved it and like went over to Bunnings and got a couple of tomato plants and just planted all that stuff and then just finished and then I was just like, yeah, sweet. And then uh, went to um, – ended up like going, fuck it. Uh, I said I couldn't go to my mate's um, 30th over in um, in Vietnam, so bought tickets to Vietnam like two days later and was back on the plane. Uh, and then I'm in Vietnam for two weeks and then I came back and then I went to Meredith and it sort of like came to uh, like, where are we? It was sort of like around New Year's and like started January and I was just like, fuck, like this, I've had a fucking great time. And then it just hit me like a fucking ton of bricks. Like just the the severity of uh of you know the year that I'd had and and uh, I mean all that sort of stuff like it just really put me in a place where I needed to um to sort of just assess a lot of stuff that it had been existing within me for a very long time that never really uh, showed itself. So yeah, going back to what we were saying, it's really important to to, to develop those tools for when you are at your lowest um, to just have those tools. Uh, it's, it's just so important. Um, and have, have that support system around you. And if you don't have that support system around you, just know that we live in a country where, uh, you know, the, to, to go chat to your GP, to go and, um, talk to a psychologist and that sort of stuff. They're really, this was the first time I actually, uh, spoke to a psychologist was, was, um, in this, in this process. And I was just like, just kicking myself because I didn't realize how easy it was. Um, you know, there's there's ten free sessions that come to every every person in Australia, and it's it's so easy, it's so accessible, um, and there's really no no boundaries. And just know that the system's in place with zero judgment, and you can go and take it and leave it. Just do what you're going to do. You just got to look after yourself. Yeah, I completely agree, and it's so refreshing to hear you say that. You know, you've you've gone through your own experiences with mental health, and. You know, my story is similar um, but different. Like when it hit me, I was about 27 and I was in uni and I actually didn't reach out for help for about six weeks and I struggled and struggled and struggled for six weeks. Um, You know, and again, that that for me came back to that stigma of being a man. And it's so interesting. I mean, I really do think this was part of the puzzle because a lot of my work is, is, you know, running men's circles and and just really um, helping men feel safe to to share their emotions and to share what's really going on because of that, you know, stigma, which has gotten better now. It's gotten much better. We still have a long way to go, but that whole, like, you know, grow up, be a man, don't cry, you know, stop being a sook, all of these things, uh, that, that that's a, a suppressive 
culture that we've been ingrained and indoctrinated into and that we've come from. And, and it's, it's a real, uh, you know, it's a bit of a journey to get ourselves out of that situation and, and into a place where we feel as men comfortable to say to our sort of friends network, you know, supportive network, um, hey, I'm actually not doing that great right now. You know, can someone hear me out? I, you know, can I have a shoulder to kind of lean on? And yeah. um, it's something that I'd encourage everyone to do. Yeah, and it's like identify those relationships with your close mates, uh, whether that be, you know, uh, mates who are women or mates who are who are dudes, to just make sure you've got those people around you who will listen to you with no judgment. Um, and, you know, when you tell them that you're not doing too well and they can relate to it, they don't one-up you and say that everything's going to be all right. Like, everything can be shit. Um, and it's really important to just embrace that, you know, you're going to have your bad days and your good days. Like, there's no harm in feeling shit. Um and you, you can just talk to someone about that. And sometimes that is the cure. You just need to talk about it. Um, you know, my first session with, with the psychologist, I just fucking unloaded. None of it was stuff that I considered um, to be, uh, you know, like my path to a, a better mental health. I just was just talking. And I actually found it just really... Um, really valuable this the the psychologist was just like a regular dude he was wearing like a he's an old guy wearing had like an rsl badge on like completely different to 30 year old me who's just been flying around the world living the lifestyle on a bus like having a having a fucking like absolute like like life highlights for for you know 16 months straight and then i'm just like instantly rock bottom without it um what was actually awesome and I didn't sort of identify it was identifying that lifestyle to an old dude with an RSL badge was me simplifying how simple my problems are to that makes sense to it to another person was me unpacking it. And I didn't like, you don't realize you're doing it. So it's just, just talking about it. It's just, it's just so powerful. Mm. It's, it is. And it's such a good thing to do. And, yeah, I think if we can break out of that, I I shouldn't say I've got you know issues, or I shouldn't seem to be weak, or I shouldn't seem to be having problems, and actually go and speak with someone, you know, be it a psychologist or even a friend, like you said, just to start that ball rolling. Um, it's a great thing, and and that comes right back, doesn't it? You know, yeah, hard conversation, easy life. Exactly right, and um, you know, like I've I've always wanted to start a podcast, and it was having those conversations and and doing that mental health first aid course that just went like fuck it, just do it. And I've spent uh, probably a good I spent the first lockdown planning and just putting it all together and and contacting people and just getting advice, doing a couple of test sessions, that sort of stuff. And man, this has been like the most rewarding little project I've done and I'm just getting started. Like it's the first project I've done where it's just me. Like I've been in bands and that sort of stuff and it's been great, but that's a group activity. This is, this is just me. Like there's no one else involved and I'm really excited about the, um, the fact whether it's successful or whether it flops on its ass, like it's 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 all me. I'm I'm just learning so much so quickly uh, from this, but also just having like really good conversations during a time like COVID is just so valuable. Yeah, man, I love it. So good. Yeah. 
Um, so enough about me. Um, closing the gap. So these these um, uh, talks you're doing in schools, they fascinate me, and I see them as extremely valuable. Um, especially just like talking to kids uh, in an educational sense about you know adolescence and the, that time where they're developing. Like, can you can you tell the listeners? Um, what what are what these programs um, uh, are all about, and hopefully we can try and get some more people that can hopefully get you to talk to the to the to more groups of people. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, so my my high school presentations were were a byproduct, like I said, from my outdoor education days and having you know group after group after group come up and say, "Hey, this is what's going on." Um, as well as that, you know, I sit here as a 33-year-old man. I'm far from perfect. You know, in my in my uh, late teens and early 20s, I made plenty of mistakes and and uh, and some drastic ones at that. And so, you know, this idea to go and speak to to the youth was was to, I guess, you know, give them. I wouldn't say a shortcut, but just really help them understand about the different choices that they make in their life and the impact that that has on not only themselves but you know, their, their supportive network around and their friends and their family. And so I created a talk for year 10 students on decision-making. That was the sort of the, the main thing that I had, the foundations for, for those presentations for quite a number of years, actually, for about three or four years, that was the main, the main go. And, you know, it's all about like drug and alcohol abuse and sex consent. Um, there's slides in there on image perception and social media, which are quite powerful. We look at uh, jobs versus university, and that's a kind of discussion on how they're both good. Uh, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world if you uh, don't know what you want to do yet and you can wait until that kind of happens. The thing that I I love about this, and especially that, that presentation is actually called Taking the Apple, and it's this kind of metaphor for, you know, um, you could either eat an apple or you could probably go and eat like a Beaumont's pie or something. Do they still have those Beaumont's pies? I don't know. I remember those from school, but but the apple is the better choice. Fuck a lot, you know? guys. <laughs> yeah, oh man, they're delicious. But you know, you should eat an apple instead. They'll yeah. they'll do you good in the long run. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was a you know it was this idea of most likely all of the time there's going to be two choices, this or that, and and one will generally be better than the other. And so we, we would sit there and we would have a discussion on on why you would make you know one choice as opposed to the other, closing the gap was this beautiful idea that was actually, uh, it was born out of a whole other story that will probably take a whole other podcast. But it was basically the recognition of the gap between students and teachers and students and parents. Now, again, this isn't um, relevant for every single kid or every single parent or every single teacher. But what I've really noticed in my last seven years of doing this work is that Generally speaking, not all of the time, but generally speaking, kids don't want to reach out to their teachers. They don't feel comfortable to tell their teachers or even, you know, the school counsellor for that matter, hey, this is what's really going on and I'm not in such a good place. I mean, you know, I'm just going to name this, like suicide levels are rising, like, you know, um, COVID hasn't helped with that. And I just feel like there needs to be, well, we need to close that gap. I want students to feel safe and comfortable, number one, in being able to reach out to their teachers and share what's going on without being judged, you know, and without getting in trouble and without feeling like that's 
even an option like that could even possibly happen. But then to top that off, also give teachers the language around what to say and when to say it in relation to helping these kids. You know, it's like, and that's the same for parents. You know, I speak with so many parents and so many kids and, and, and whenever you hear of a kid that's got, um, you know, that's maybe been going through a, a really rough patch for months on end and, and the thing that the parents often say is, we didn't know. We didn't know. And it's like, you know what? I, I believe them. They didn't because we hide that really well, man. Kids, yeah. even adults, we hide that really well. And so, you know, when I run it, it's, it's quite interesting because when I run a men's circle, and, and you know, I've run, I've run mixed gender, but, but generally, generally the way that it would work is a, is a man would run a, a, a man's circle and a woman would, would run a woman's circle because we've got, we've got different problems, you know, and that's, that's just the way I think yeah. the world works and the differences between male and female. And that's, that's a, a, a good thing. Um, and, and so when I would run that, I think the, the list of rules are the same for both genders, but, you know, you would facilitate this circle and you would say, right, you know, this is a safe space. Um, there's no judgment, you know, everything that's said in this circle stays within this circle. Nothing leaves this circle. And the only possible way that it can is if perhaps Aiden shares his story and, 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 I, and maybe I have a friend that's gone through something similar or is currently going through the same thing. And the only way that, that something could leave that circle is if I came up to Aiden after the circle had finished and said, hey, man, my friend's going through the same thing. Um, do I have your permission to, to share what you shared with them to let them know that, that, that they're not alone. And that would be the only, the only reason. There's no interruptions ever. And, you know, if someone's having a moment, you don't actually touch them. You just let them have their moment because even by touching them, you're interrupting their moment. Um, there's no advice. Even by the person that's facilitating the circle, all we're doing as a facilitator is holding the space. And collectively with the other four or five or six men in that circle, they're helping hold that space by just listening by just being there. And, yep. you know, those dot points, are, in my opinion, they're very simple. You know, they're very easy to adhere to. And, and I think that's all we need to do as parents and as teachers is just really, really, uh, I was going to say reinforce, but you have to have started to reinforce something. It had to start, you know, way back here. Um, but just to, how would you say this? Like to really... Um, from as early on as possible, and it doesn't matter if you've never done this, you know, and it seems like a a weird thing to do because it is, especially if you don't, if your whole family never speaks of mental health issues ever, then then it's going to be a bit clunky to start with. But just to sit down with your family and say, all right, you know what, from now on, we're having, um, you know, Friday night is what's your beef, you know, or. Um, what sucks Saturdays? You make make it yeah. fun. Make something up where it's like, all right, we're going to sit down once a week as a family, and as a family, we're going to actually talk about the things that are really bothering us, and just kind of have it have it out. And from the parents to to let their son and daughters know that this is a safe place, and there's absolutely nothing that you can say that will get you in trouble, and to really say that um, and mean it, you know. And 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 I think by virtue of doing that, you're giving your kids um, permission to be in their sovereignty. And that's a beautiful thing in itself, you know, and for the teachers to say the same thing, you, you can imagine having a school assembly and, and really 
honing in on that and having the teachers that speak saying this is this is real um, this is really important for our school and and we would encourage all of you to share and and encouraging like you 12 kids to share perhaps because then younger kids see that and go wow that's really cool and anyway so this is where this came from and, and so closing the gap is this thing where I, I saw this gap kids kids weren't reaching out to their teachers and kids weren't reaching out to their parents and in some cases they weren't even reaching out to their friends which is a terrible terrible thing and and um and so I've created this this four way presentation where I go into schools and I speak with the attends and I speak with teachers and I speak with parents but I also speak with the year twelves. And what this is, I love this. This is like I'm getting goosebumps. This is my favorite part. You know, it's it's one thing to go into a year ten group and have this you know, um, really uh, fun-loving, sometimes very serious, deep chat on decision-making and drug, drug and alcohol abuse and things like that. And these kids come up at the end and they go, hey, man, thanks so much. That was such a good talk. I really enjoyed it. And I'm never doing this. And I'm going to start doing this and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, but who's holding those kids accountable? You know, there's this thing in the outdoor when I was doing my degree in Bendigo and it's like, it's so nice to see kids change their attitude over the space of five days, especially the ones that were really kind of smart-arsy and, and a bit kind of talk-back-like and come Friday and they're this, you know, great, positive, well-spoken, um, you know, engaging child and you go, wow, I really feel good about myself. Like, I helped them be better over the week, let's say. And, and then you wonder, oh, I wonder if they'll maintain that new attitude in their family home, in their school life, or will they just slip back into their old friend circles and keep doing the same things that they were doing earlier? And so with all that being said, if you do a year 10 talk on, you know, decision-making, and then you do a parent talk on uh, language, let's say, and helping parents understand what their kids really need. And then you do a talk for teachers on how to better engage with their students and, and start those conversations that might be hard. And then do a talk with the year 12s. I think of it like schools are about culture, man, culture and community. And my dad went there and his dad went there and their dad went there, especially those really, really old, old schools, you know, people have been going there for ages. And so, you know, we're, we're stronger together. And so we're not just building up one year group. We're actually building up an entire community. And so, and so by virtue of doing all of these different presentations, these kids, these kids, hopefully they leave feeling empowered and stronger and better and more equipped to deal with life's daily challenges. And they go running home to their parents and they say, Mom, Dad, man, we had this guy come and talk to us about this, this and this, and I'm going to try and be a better son. And, you know, like treat you guys with more respect and I'm sorry for all of these things and blah, blah, blah. And their parents lean forward and they go, well, you know what, little Johnny, we actually had a presentation given to us by the same person. And from our end, we're going to be more receptive to your needs. We're going to listen to you more. We're going to sit down once a week and we're going to have family discussions about how we're all going in life. And then those kids go into school, to their classrooms the next day and they say to their teachers, hey, you know, oh my goodness, like I'm going to be better. I'm going to try and be the best version of myself. And the teachers go, well, guess what? So are we. And, and if you go right back to the idea of why I do this work, it's to help people become the best version of ourselves. And when we're operating from that, from that frequency, 
um, that level, then we're in better service to our community. And so we are lifting everyone up together and everyone's growing all at once. It's not just one year group. It's like, let's all go, you know, and the year 12, the year 12 get this presentation on mental health and actually running sharing circles. And it's like, they then become these mentors, you know, and lots of schools have mentors. Um, the year 12s are mentors, but, but really encouraging these year 12s to be open and honest and vulnerable. Vulnerable is such a powerful thing, man. To be vulnerable is, is huge, um, especially for a man with the stigma we've just discussed earlier about, you know, not crying and, and all of these things. And so encouraging these year 12s to actually um, speak at assemblies and share what's going on for them because sometimes all it takes, bro, is, is somebody else to share and, and, and you kind of look at them and go, oh, I had no idea that they were struggling and people can be very surprised. And, and just by the simple nature of hearing someone else tell their story, you go, well, far out. You know what? If, if he or she said that, I'm going to share what's going on with me. And, and we really are, we're, we're, we're stronger together. And, and so that's, that is what I want to do, you know, outside of all the workshops, outside of all the four week journeys, you know, I'll keep doing all the different things I'm doing within life is the way, but, but to go into schools and have four, presentations and and help really really lift and build these communities to be better and stronger um you know more resilient uh more supportive everything is is something that really actually <laughs> brings joy to my heart man i almost feeling like i'm slightly emotional right now but it's good it's a good thing yeah i love it yeah like we're all like we are we are all we're all puzzle pieces and it's a pretty boring puzzle to look at to just look at the pieces. But when, it, when we all join together, it's a beautiful picture. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. When did you become so poetic? Uh, just as I started this podcast. <laughs> like, I'm telling you this fucking... Like, uh, I, um, last, last week's guest um, uh, was uh, Stella Perry. Stella Perry was um, uh, a chick who came second on The Voice. Oh, yeah. Um, she is like very enlightened, very spiritual chick. Uh, we've known each other for, for quite a long time. And man, I had to fucking like, I just like, I am about to say something that I have never, and just like the things that were coming out of my mouth and that, like she was just so infectious, much like yourself. You just feel like there's a breath of fresh air in the room. And uh, yeah, man, like it's, it's, it's um, just, yeah. Surrounding yourself with this sort of stuff doesn't hurt anyone. That's for sure. Thanks, bro. Thank you very much. What do you do for self-care? Um, one thing that I've sort of, uh, in my very little experience of, um, uh, you know, being being someone who uh, could be someone for someone else in terms of uh, starting their journey to a better mental health, one thing that I've really learned um, when taking uh, on these um these roles is, is the importance of self-care. Um, I noticed, uh, when I was, um, uh, watching your Instagram live feed last week, you were mentioning, um, some, uh, pesky kids were getting on in, on your, um, on your comment sections. Oh my God, your, that was um, so annoying. On your live feeds. And that, that really seemed to be getting you down, but you were also mentioning that you, you had a pretty tough time, uh, coming home from Jindabyne and that sort of stuff. 
is is there um some uh some go-to things within yourself that uh really are effective with your own self-care yeah um i so i have a, a handful of different things i mean actually there's my gosh there's more resources that i could poke a stick at um you know number one would have to be meditate always and forever you know and especially if it's something that i i know that i need to to process within me and and that's a great thing you know to sit with yourself and to really dive deep into the into the areas that perhaps uh you don't want to look at and that you're afraid of what's down there as much as it's man it can be excruciating it really can be um you know to meditate with the intention of um, of, of self-healing, let's say. So I would, I would meditate, and that would be my main one. And and you know, there's there's loads of free resources all over the internet that you can find, and and things like that for anyone that that wants to give that a go on how to even start that journey. Secondly, like you said, would just be a talk about it. If anything, I'm guilty of oversharing. Everyone knows that. I I could have just met you, and if you're like, oh, how are you going? And if it's not good, I'd be like, oh, mate, can I just tell you something? You know, like I just. It's, it's a it's a great thing I think yeah. to just get it out off your chest and and like you said just by just by talking about it in fact to be honest I do both I feel like I'd like to add in that meditation and talking about it will join together because just by speaking about it it really it gets it you know out of your brain and out into the open and you can sort of see it there in front of you and go oh okay this is what's going on here um, and I'm really grateful to you um, like in a in a group of people just meditating and you're just like talking the whole time <laughs> just fucking up everyone else's <laughs> yeah no, I, I get them i get them going with a bit of chit chat but then we we'll sink into it but i think um you know i i feel very very grateful my supportive network are phenomenal and i mean like i've been doing one-on-one coaching and mentoring for quite a while now and you know it's such a it's such a great thing i love that I get to share this because a lot of the time people look at me and just go, oh, as if you never have a problem. When are your down days, mate? Like you're just happy 24 seven and I'm bloody grateful. Yeah. And I'm very fortunate to say that, yes, like yeah. 90% of the time I'm, I'm having a pretty good time, but I am human just like the rest of us. And so, you know, when I, when I do get myself sort of a little down and out, then I've got, you know, friends and family who I can call upon any time um, but then I'm, you know, I've got coaches above me and mentors above me that I can call up and and ask for a session with, you know, straight away. And and I really feel passionate about that, you know, about kind of having those those people that you know that you can trust in, that you can call upon, and and that, like you said, they don't judge you, and they sit there and they listen, and you know, maybe at the end, if if you're up for it, they they might offer their advice, but sometimes just having a sounding board is really all we need to start that process of healing. And I think that's a, a really great thing. Yeah. Um, do you, um, ah. do you spend a lot of time worrying in your life? No, not really. I, things tend to just like go over the top of me. I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not too bothered by a lot of stuff to be honest. Yeah. To your, to, to your advantage or to your detriment, do you think? Uh, it's, I would say it's to my advantage. My mum used to say it was to my detriment, but she was much more serious than I was, you know. I don't know. I just, I, yeah. 
I just really look at things in a different light. I seem to find the funny in almost everything and 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 yeah. worrying is not a good thing for our mental health and and you know I mean like don't get me wrong I'm like I'm not like free from worry or anything like that but I a lot of the times yeah you know I'm very aware of myself and I could be like hang on am I worried about I am worried about this what am I worried for actually this is ridiculous and then I kind of just pull myself out and yeah and well, there's a difference nothing. between like not worrying and not caring exactly yeah exactly yeah yeah. So yeah, not not too bothered by stuff and not overly a worrier, I would say, which I'm pretty glad of. Yeah. Glad for. Yeah. Is there um is there an event that happened in your life that you wish didn't happen? Yeah, I mean the first thing that comes to mind was my mum, um she passed from brain cancer a couple of years back and and that was that was a super yeah. intense time for the whole family. And, and, you know, I'll be honest, we're, you know, it's, we are, yeah. I mean, we still have our down days. So we're, we're, we're at a level where we can comfortably discuss this, you know, with anyone that asks about it. So it's, it's not a topic that's, that, that should be, yeah. um, you know, squashed, let's say. Um, but, you know, that was, that was a hard yeah. time. And, and no doubt I learned a lot from that entire experience. And um, we, we, had, we ended up actually, yeah, uh, palliative caring for for mum for like a year, like for like a year. Myself and my brother just didn't work, and we just bathed her and fed her, and and even yeah. that man was such a beautiful experience. And people might think that's a strange thing to say, but you know, like we'd have to shower her and take her to the toilet, and she hated it at the start. She's like, "Oh, I hate this. I hate this so much." I just used to look at her and say, "Mum, full circle, mate. Full circle. You did this for us." Now we get to do it for you. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So it was, you know, as much as it was a horrendous. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I remember seeing those times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing those times with, uh, with you and Angus, um, you know, for, uh, for the little bits that you guys shared through, um, through social media and stuff. Uh, and those, those last couple of moments of your mum, uh, it was, it was a pretty beautiful thing to watch and, um, really just like slugs at home, like the importance of family and, um, you know, uh, it's just a, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, but, um, you know, fucking man, cancer's a cunt. <laughs> oh, it so is. <laughs> it totally is. What would you, uh, what would you be doing with your life or even like occupationally speaking, if you weren't doing life is the way, like, is, is there a, a role that you would probably take on that would be probably, I guess, like if you were to either put on a suit or start your own business that was a bit more uh, straight down the line, what what would that be? Or what was it going to be until you decided to make make the break and, and dive into this? Uh, <laughs> I actually always wanted to own a paintball ring. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, I... <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted to try and think of something up then that was so yeah. unlike Hopefully me. My, and then my, my, my kids would be paintballers. No, and then I, kids would be paintballers. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we, would, we would have the, um, the biggest paintball ring in the state and it would be a real yeah, Imagine that, a just like es- thing es- to have, established so, in no, like, 19, like, like the 1800s, like, like Tom Rob's paintballing. <laughs> yeah. 
That's what, that's what I would be known for. Like, oh, you're that guy with the paintball ring. Oh, yeah, come on over. Don't piss him off. Uh, no, not a paintball ring. Yeah, I just <laughs> just carry a paintball gun with me everywhere I go. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't know yet if this will still happen. I feel like it will. I think I knew from a very early age I would always be a school yeah. teacher. Always. And... I thought to myself that I would teach drama and potentially English. Although if anyone that listens to this actually knows me really well, you might laugh at that because my spelling and grammar are appalling. But, you know, I, I enjoy writing and I, I enjoy reading and I, I think I would enjoy English as a, as a teacher. Um, but I love that, you know, like there, in my opinion, there is no better occupation than teaching and, and motivational, motivational speaking is teaching to me. Running these workshops is teaching, you know, Helping guide people to become the best versions of themselves is—it's—it's it's all relative to me, and and that's what has always brought me the most amount of joy. I think I knew that, you know, straight away when I started teaching snowboarding, I was like, wow, this feels really good to watch people advance in the areas of their snowboarding because that's what we're focused on, um, you know, through my instruction. Let's say, um, that's still that's still a big thing for me. Although now it's slightly changed and I feel like perhaps I would love to be a school counsellor, you know, and just chatting with young people um, about whatever is going on for them. And having said that, you know, when that happens, it'll be, it won't be until I've hopefully gone into every single school in Australia and delivered this. Um, closing yeah. the gap and I guess the, the other so. thing about the way you're delivering these um, yeah. presentations is you are like you are quite nomadic like you are you are out in the road um, and you know that's 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 a that's a part of it that you enjoy uh, I imagine in, in itself is traveling around Australia doing these doing these talks it's not necessarily being stuck in one spot people coming to you you're going to them it's it's a proactive way of, uh, of delivering this mm. Yeah, spot on. And it's 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 really fun. I get to meet lots of amazing people. I go to some incredible spots. Uh yeah, I mean location, location, location. Yeah. What's um what's the best bit of food you've found on the road? As not as in like you've eaten off the road as in like cafes or <laughs> Um Oh my god, best bit of food. Best bit of food. Or even just like most most memorable bit of food. So like, for example, like when I think of like travel food, I think of there's that bakery in Bordertown between um, Adelaide and Melbourne and they do a chicken parmigiana f- uh, pie. It's fucking terrible, but what a concept. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm with you. I think um, I'm just rattling my brain. I mean, I feel like my answer is going to be boring. Like, it would have to be... I'd almost be bigger on cafes because I often, like, I work in my van a fair bit, but I love to go to a cafe and sit and get a coffee and, like, a carrot cake. Actually, if I'm going to be honest, coffee and carrot cake would be two flavours I think just should be brought together more often. Um, But... Yeah, I would. Yeah, they're just they're great. Um, all right, so my um, my uh, <laughs> final question, and uh, and it's a question uh, that I don't have the name for the segment of, but I'm just going to call it. Um, uh, I don't know. Fuck. 
we'll figure it out. Um, but essentially, I'm going to put to you the uh, the the picture that you've started up your own independent uh, music label, and you've got access to any artists, both past and present, and you've got yourself a um, a, a venue at South by Southwest, and you've got to choose five bands that represent Tom Robb's record label. And at the end of this, I'm going to start like a, 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 a Spotify playlist, ha. and essentially this is going to be the most creatively inspiring fucking playlist that anyone could ever listen to. Who are your five bands? My God. That's five for five. <laughs> okay. okay. It took us so two hours when we got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. Straight up, I'm going to say Xavier Rudd would be one yep. for sure. Shout out to um, Torquay. Shout out to Torquay. That's right. John Butler Trio, although he's not John Butler Trio anymore, but John Butler. Shout out to California and Perth. Yep. Correcto Mondo. Um... Man, this is like five is not even like there's too many. I need I need like twenty. Um, nah, don't look another. Not gonna happen. Too short of changeover. John it's not Butler, possible. Xavier Rudd. Uh, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with naturally Jack the Fox because that's my brother's band and they're just kicking goals left, right, and centre. Yeah, man. And that's not a biased opinion, by the way. Like, I actually think outside of the fact that I'm related to the lead singer um, and good friends with the... Angus got pipes, man. Fuck Yeah, yeah, he's got me. some pipes. That boy can he, sing. The boy yeah. can sing. Yeah, he, uh, he knows his way around a microphone. It's not his first radio. Yeah. Um, Let's just say he can say the words. Yeah, yeah, he knows what's up. There's three... I... I think I'm going to go with Alana Wilkinson, just because uh-huh. she's phenom. And my final one, actually, I'm just going to say this because maybe people might be like, oh, I want to check him out. But it's, it's, out of, it's actually out of Sean Kirk or Lloyd Spiegel, and they're both very bluesy. Uh, but I yep. think I'm going to go with, right now, Sean Kirk. Right. It's fascinating that you are starstruck by Lloyd Spiegel, but he doesn't make the bill. <laughs> Sorry, I mate, you know. don't book tonight. Well, they're like one for one. You're really. idiots. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if I had, I think it's it's like a one degree of separation, but Sean Kirk plays harmonica, so, you know, it's a pretty awesome thing to add to your repertoire of instruments. Yeah, you prefer a guy uh, that knows his way around a mouth than a finger. Well, he plays guitar as well. Yeah, that was that was Whoa. that could be that could be taken many ways. We're talking about music people. <laughs> music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh by the way, the gig's in a sex club. <laughs> oh good. Yeah, that makes sense now actually. Um no I think yeah. you know that's a hard one because Sean's like guitar, vocals, and harmonica, tambourine as well, I think. Lloyd's 
um, guy in Stumpbox and Lloyd's vocals, guitar, Stumpbox. But, yeah, check them both out if you've got to the end of this. Check them both yeah, out. Well, I think Sean Kirkwood is a really popular name. Or either either we're talking – well, either I've got the same person in mind, but is Sean Kirkwood also like a live music photographer? It's just Sean Kirk. There's no wood on the end. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. You're a solutions man. Mm. Very good. All right, mate. I'm gonna, let's let's wrap this up. We've been talking for quite a quite a while. Any uh, any closing um, any closing arguments from you? Anything that I haven't asked? No, nothing. Nothing pressing. Um, I guess I'll just say what I said this morning to my group that are on this four week journey. I said, um, just go out there and be yourself because everyone else is taken. Ah. Uh... Yeah. Very good, mate. Well, it's been bloody lovely catching up with you. I look forward to uh, all this COVID stuff uh, being a distant memory and we can uh, have a good old bloody bro hug. Yeah, mate. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be really exciting. Can't wait. Cool, mate. All right. We're going to sign out. Uh, Have a good day. Don't hurt anyone. Really hope you enjoyed today's episode of the My Normal Podcast. Please head over to the My Normal Podcast, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube and subscribe to all of those and help me shine a bright new light on mental health within creative industries. I want to encourage everyone to visit the RUAK website where you can find the resources that may help you to have a conversation that could change someone's life for the better. I'm very excited to announce next week's guest, Karen from Finance. Karen is a drag queen who has brought smiles to people all across the world We have a really good conversation about the the behind-the-scenes preparations involved in creating a world-famous production that has received multiple awards at festivals such as the Edinburgh International Festival from the Midsummer Festival here in Melbourne. I want to thank everyone for listening, and I really hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of My Normal Podcast.